Mistakes often cost time and money, and they can change your adventure in ways that you may not want. Of course, we all want adventure, but why not learn from others from what they have done and the mistakes they have made, especially those with plenty of travel experience? That's what we're doing today. Mistakes made by motorcycle travelers and ways to avoid them through those mistakes. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Brian Phil. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Chavez. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Bayer. Jim Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Well, of course, there's a first time for everything, including motorcycle travel. And there's a lot to consider before heading out on the road. You worry about your bike and you worry about your gear and then you worry about your carnets, depending on where you're heading, your expenses, your fuel. There's just so much to take in. And novice travelers, well, they often learn through trial and error. They often get caught up on things that aren't important while ignoring or missing things that may be very important. And even seasoned motorcycle travelers can still make mistakes, but getting a heads up on common mistakes just might give you enough insight to avoid some of those mistakes yourself, making your trip much more rewarding and maybe avoiding some of that pain associated with learning. Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks, Graham Field, Grant Johnson, and Sam Manicom are all coming up. They're from our Raw crew, all very experienced travelers. They've got um, a lot of insight into common mistakes that are made while traveling by many motorcyclists, including themselves. Quickly, let's go around here. What's the top number one common mistake that I'm sure we're everybody's going to say the same thing? Too much stuff. Yeah, Yep, too much stuff. Too much stuff. Trying to do it all too quick. Actually, I must say, and I think we've done this before, you know, I do now have a list. When I get back from big trip, everything that comes out of the panniers, I make a note of every single thing that came out of it and a little star next to it, whether it got used or not. But you see, now I do these little two and three day trips on the Thruxton off to Romania or Serbia or somewhere, and it's got such tiny panniers and I learned the hard way that now I take a spear in a tube and tire levers and enough to at least change that. But I take so little because they are only a few day trips. And that's really wonderful to get that down. I mean, an SAS saying is that whether you're going away for three months or three days, pack for three days. Well, that's great if you're an SAS commander, but maybe not if you're an overland rider. But um, I I have got a lot better at, at packing less, but still there is... There, I, I've got a long, long way to go. But 
you as you do it, you know, you sit there and it's like an insurance policy. You look at that part sitting in the shed, that spare and a tube, that extra tire lever, that voltmeter, what everything. Oh, I'll just put that in, I'll just put that in. And before you know it, your panniers are bulging, your bike's heavy, and you've lost all your dexterity and control because the thing's wallowing like a hippo on acid or something. You, you never know what you're going to need. Do you not take your first aid kit because you didn't use it last time? Well, um, what if you do need it? Then you really, 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 really need it. So it, it's it's always a tough battle as to just how much is enough and how much is too much. I think you have to think about how much do I need at the side of the road versus how much do I need that I could actually get in town when I finally get there because mm. you can only get something in town. Next to overpacking. What do you think is the, the most com- one of the most common mistakes? Going too fast and too long. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's, when we're all setting off on journeys, we're so enthusiastic. Um, but until pe- people become more experienced as um, overlanders, um, then they don't take the time out to chill and relax into the journey. And they miss too much. And I always think that the adventure starts as soon as you leave home. Um, you know, they're just going to happen straight away. As soon as you, you get down the end of your road and that's it, the adventure's rolling. And people tend to get so excited about being on the trip that they blast the first days and don't see or do anything. All they do is get tired. And if they can, if, if people continue with um, doing that, then they start to put themselves at, at risk of, of um, making errors. Um, if you don't allow yourself to, the time to stop and to relax and value the place, um, then the trip can turn into a, a battle, can't it? Um, those shorter days and holidays are so important. Unless, of course, you're limited for time and then you want to get to a particular area where you want to spend the bulk of your time. Um, but I, I think that traveling too fast and too long also doesn't allow you to get tuned into your own senses because as soon as we break free from everyday life, we're demanding different things from our senses and we need to allow them time to wake up. And by really pushing and burning and going too fast and too long days and so on, we're not giving them a chance. Um, and that means you're just not tuned into moments when things can go wrong quite so well. Um, you're dulling your ability to think yourself out of situations where things might be going wrong. You know, for example, that strange vibration or a comment that somebody has made. Is that true? Is that likely to be dangerous or is that an opportunity? Is this something you've learned from experience, Sam? Like, did you sort of go through a period where you went, hang on a second, I'm, I'm doing this? Oh, uh, do you know, I still do it. A couple of years back, I was in, um, when I was in the States, I was given loads of tips by a friend and he linked me up with a bunch of people and he even worked out a route plan for me. And normally I, I just don't do that, but it felt like the right thing at the time to, to let this happen. But it turned out he must, he must travel a lot faster than I do. And I've really battled to keep up with the schedule that he'd given me. But because I'd never done this before, I thought, well, yeah, come on, you know, just do it. See, see, it's, it's a new adventure and you slant to the adventure, have a go. But I got to the stage where I was tired and where um, I rode through a day of just hissing rain to try and keep to this schedule. And all the time I'm riding, I'm thinking, this is stupid. If you, were, if you weren't trying to keep to this schedule, if you weren't trying to let this trend down, um, you would have pulled over and found somewhere to hold up until this rainstorm has just worn itself out. And by the time I made it to the friends that I was about to make, I was so tired. And that night when I was going to sleep, I was thinking, Sam, that was really stupid. 
it was almost like you put blinkers on your on your head on either on either side of your your eyes, and you didn't see anything to the side, and you just were so tuned into getting there and keeping up with the schedule, you you just opened yourself up to risk. You know, I, I saw a comment that somebody made um, uh, on one of the other things we were talking about on another episode. And it's funny how people can have different ideas. His his comment was on um, uh, stopping to see, you know, experience culture and see landscape and all that. And, and he said, ah, to heck with all that. He said, um, I'm not into that. I'm just into the ride. That's what he's into. Putting, you know, riding distance. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, so everybody, I, I think what really, like what it comes down to is, you know, what you're saying, really in what you're saying is knowing what you want. And I kind of think, Sam, you've said that before about uh, about travel, understanding what you want in advance before mm-hmm. you leave out of the trip. Why are you doing it? Oh, absolutely. I've got a friend who, um, he's a world record breaker. And um, I said to him, but you don't see anything when you're traveling that fast. And he said, yeah, but Sam, that's not why I do it. Why I do it is because I love riding my bike. Um, and I just want to get on the road and I want to ride every day for as long as I can. And that's where I get my bus from. And I thought, yeah, okay. It's not me, but I understand it. So it, it depends on what you want. And I think when you're planning a trip, the biggest thing that we see all the time is that some people, the guy wants to do the big ride and he just wants to ride and ride and far, see how far he can go and see how much mileage he can put on. But he's neglected to realize that the wife maybe has a different idea or sometimes it's the other way around. I know some women who are just into the ride and he's more interested in seeing what there is on the way. So for a couple, it's deciding and agreeing and understanding exactly what the other person with them actually wants and what they think around the world, for instance, ride is. I mean, I've had couples that say, I want to do around the world ride. She said, I want to do around the world ride. They both have completely different ideas of what around the world ride is, what they're going to do, how long it's going to take, and how much riding they're going to do, and what they're going to see. Totally different. So you've really got to be careful and get that together. Yeah, well, that brings up another one to mind. That um, the thing is, if you're if you're uh, looking to partner with somebody, so if you're you know you see somebody advertise, I'm doing this trip and I'm looking for somebody to ride with. That's that's another time where you want to make sure your your goals are aligned. Oh yeah. yeah. I think the um, the biggest newbie mistake, other than overpacking, of course, is over planning, overthinking the trip. You know, you, you knock off work and you think, right, I've got a month or six months or 12 months or six weeks. So you've just got to get there and get moving and think like you're still working. And it's a completely different mindset. And um I think once once you get into the groove of it, it's okay. But at first, it's a re- it needs to be a real conscious effort. I think to to um, to slow down, enjoy what you're doing, and not get overwhelmed with um, the the trip that you're doing. Just take it, I guess, a bit. Take it as it comes. Let it be a little bit organic, if that's not too corny a word. Uh, when we did our first trip, after about the first three weeks, I thought, my God, I'm never going to make it back to Australia because it's just it's such a long way away and we sat down and talked it through and worked out I really shouldn't be thinking about April next year. I should be thinking about Friday and where we might be on Friday and, you know, what we want to see tomorrow or, you know, what sort of place we're going to stay in and just start taking it in little bits rather than trying to think, oh, my God, we've got a ride from London to Australia. Are we ever going to get there? 
not looking after physical self. And what I mean is not taking out the time to eat and drink regularly, not taking the time out to keep clean. So in other words, people just don't learn the value of washing water and tea. You know, I traveled with um, for a couple of days with a guy in Africa, and he was so suspicious of local food that he survived on bread and peanut butter. He hadn't even, you know, he wasn't eat, even eating fruit. You know, all these mang- mangoes and guavas and bananas and pineapples and all of the rest of it. He didn't want to eat any of that stuff. He'd been literally surviving on bread, peanut butter, and adrenaline. And of course, adrenaline runs out after a while. So. Every time he was just grumpy about everything. He was too tired to do more than what had to be done. He was traveling with no joy. And bumps in the road were always problems. And that's why I only traveled with him for two days because I thought, I can't be around this guy. Um, But if he'd been eating properly, um, he's expecting his body to do all sorts of things that you wouldn't normally expect it to do. A, A trip makes your body do stuff constantly, all day, every day. And be, you're on intake overload, aren't you? And challenges are coming at you from all over the place. And unless your body is well being, being looked well after, you just don't cope well with this stuff. And I, I see it happen a lot. Yeah, the one that get, comes to my mind always, there's actually two. One of them is over-preparing before you even mm. leave. Spending, I know people that, I know one guy who spent three years and a ton of money preparing his, his bike with an R80GS and he rebuilt it from the ground up and it was better than factory. Three years of planning and preparation and then he didn't go. Spent all his money. Mm. And, and, that's, and, and that's sort of along with what Shirley said with like, although that's, you know, spending your budget before you leave, but what Shirley was saying about um, doing too much preparation, you know, putting too yep. much into the, the pre-trip. Too much planning, too much planning, too much preparation, too much time on the bike. It's all fixable. There, people are out there. I always tell people, one of my favorite phrases, I guess, is you're on a road and at the, each end of the road, there are people. That's why the road exists. Otherwise, you wouldn't be on a road because it wouldn't be there. If there was no people at the end. And guess what? They're just like you. They need food. They need cereal in the morning. They need something for dinner. They need toothpaste. You can buy it all anywhere. There's no differences. It might be not the brand you want, but there'll be something that will do the job just fine. And living with the local stuff and eating and living the way they do is good for you. It's a good thing. So don't worry about it. You don't need all that much preparation. You can always stop, go to a hotel and refigure and ship stuff in, whatever. It's all doable. You don't need to prepare your brains out. How do you guys feel about gear as far as buying gear, like just gear in general? It's very easy to fall into the trap when you're in the research stages of thinking that you need all this stuff. I think good camping equipment, if we discussed before, does pay you back again and again and again to have a comfortable night's sleep. But a lot of the stuff, you have to remember, I always try to remember, people travelled years ago before there were motorcycles, before there was scintillate, before there was GPS and phones. And it's possible. And it might even make it more enjoyable. It's it's very easy to fall into the trap of needing all that stuff. And it's also very easy to travel without it. Yeah. And if you, you get to, to the point where you and if you get Sorry. to the point where you really need it, buy it. Yep. They yeah, sell exactly. they sell things outside of your uh, home country. Yeah, that's my point. Um, and I see people being spending getting absolutely anal about which is the best tent. Spend 
weeks discussing it on the forums and trying to figure out what's the best tent. Well, is, does it does it fit? Is it big enough? Is it good? Is the price reasonable? Fine. It doesn't have to be the perfect tent because it's probably not going to finish the trip anyway. So you're probably going to want to replace it somewhere on the line. So don't sweat it. But always buy good stuff. Don't buy cheap because, but you also at the same time, you don't need to buy the very best. The very no, best no, is no. overkill. The cheap stuff is just not going to do a good job because it's cheap junk. Something in between, I always kind of go 60, 70% kind of thing is my thinking. And that's kind of a sweet spot. Decent price, good quality, it'll do the job. Yeah, I agree with that, Grant. I think um, you, uh, get stuff that works for you. doesn't matter yep. what the price is. If it works for yep. you, that's fine. And you see people, oh, I've got the latest and greatest, and they spend thousands and thousands of dollars on the best um, riding gear and all that sort of stuff. Well, if it keeps you warm and dry, what else do you need? Good yeah. boots and good gloves. I don't reckon yes. you should scrimp too much on boots or gloves, but, um, you know, waterproof gear – Someone said to me once, you know, the best they, they'd ever ridden with were the things that ladies wore playing golf. Uh, they're, called, they're called rain boot or something, and they were just over jackets and over pants. I now wear over pants that are made for hikers that I bought in a camping store in America, and they're awesome, and they were so much cheaper than buying something that had motorcycle written on the label. Oh, Yes. It really comes down to a personal thing, I think, doesn't it, for that? Because some people will buy the cheap rain suit that goes over their riding jacket, Graham, and other people will want to buy the latest, greatest uh, Gore-Tex jacket. Well, and surely, Graham, don't you let him get him have a go at you about that. I wear my waterproofs over my jacket too. <laughs> well, the other thing is as well, um, it, once you start getting good quality stuff, you start getting neurotic about it. You know, I've got to a stage now where I've got some nice bikes and a nice car. When I had a, a old motorbike and, uh, and an old beaten up van, I never worried about where I parked it or anything. And now all of a sudden you have to start thinking, oh, good girl, I've got a story for you. Went to a little restaurant last night because we couldn't be bothered to cook in a little town in Bulgaria. Went to the restaurant on the bit where you push your hand to open the door, there was Horizons Unlimited sticker. <laughs> <laughs> How classic is that? Um, but anyway, so the point place. is, yeah, I, I, was, I was toying with putting one of mine underneath it and I thought, no. <laughs> but, but the point is that we sat in the restaurant and I had to sit so I could see where my car was parked because I was worried about the bloody Mustang. So the less stuff you've got that's worth, you know, if you've got stuff that's not worth so much, if you've got a, a crappy little tent with just a, a, some dodgy camping equipment in it, you don't mind going off for a hike and leaving it out of sight because it's not that valuable to you. So the more money you spend on gear, the more protective you come, become over it and probably the less adventurous you're going to be because of it. Yep, Friend, friends of mine traveling in South America, um, they had really top quality tents and this happened to three um, sets of friends and they all had the same make tent and um, over a period of a year they came back to the camping sites and found that their tents had gone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, no, I think that's a very good point of getting paranoid with yourself. And I think and, yeah, we can probably all relate to that with anything you have. Um, I'm sure you wouldn't have to worry about your pickup truck, Graham. If um, you had been driving that, you just park it and, and walk away from it. What about um, what about cash and credit cards? Some some common mistakes there. 
we've sort of talked about pre-trip planning and, and, and now I'm thinking like, you know, you hit the road, the wheels are turning. What are the sort of things we're running into there? And I think cash and credit cards, that's got to be, you know, sort of a top of the list. Not enough cash and one credit card. That's a big mistake. You mean not mm-hmm. enough cash like in your reserves or not enough in your pocket? Both. Yeah. Both. You need to have enough cash in your pocket to take care of whatever you need at the side of the road because the average person in the third world country doesn't take credit cards. You, know, you want to get a lift into town, you need cash. Um, and only having one credit card when your credit card doesn't work in the local bank machine, and trust me, that happens a lot, um, you need to have alternate credit cards. Two or three credit cards even is a good idea. Yeah. I think a top tip is to try and um, find a way to travel with at least two weeks worth of funds um, yeah. in cash. When I travel on my own, I'm pretty good at having carrying enough water with me. I've generally got quite a bit of water. But when, as soon as I pair up with someone, um, firstly, you're a bit more distracted because you've got that company. And secondly, there's an element of assumption that the other person has done that. And found myself a few times in predicaments where neither one of us have got any water. And you can survive for quite a long time with pretty without anything, but you do need water. So it can be a pain carrying water because it's heavy and it's hard to find a location, put it on your bike. But, you know, while you're on that road that Grant tells you about, which people are going from A to B on, there might be quite a long gap before someone is going from A to B. And if you've just got your water, you're going to be okay. Yeah, especially if you're broken down at the side of the road. Yes. <laughs> yes. Water, water and a bit of shade. So you always carry your yeah. water bottles and your umbrella. Yep, that's Ted Simon's recommendation. Always have an umbrella. Yep, we take an wrong. umbrella. Yeah. So going back to cash though, Jim, one thing that I think people need to think about is where to put the cash. Because if you're taking a couple of hundred US dollars for emergencies, say, you're not going to have that in your wallet that you're going to open when you get out your 15 rubles to pay for some fuel. Uh, and you're not going to have it in the place that some dodgy person who goes straight for the tank bag thinks, aha, I've found this person's $200 cash. Yeah, I mean, the, t- the trick is to spread it around, isn't it? Where yeah. do you hide the money? That's quite seriously, we can't tell you where we hide it because then if someone sees us on the road, they'll go, I know where they're keeping their cash. <laughs> when you think about it, there are plenty of places to hide cash and the, the valuable thing that you should always have a few spare ones is little plastic Ziploc bags that you can put your cash in a little Ziploc bag so if it happens to be somewhere that might get wet, you're not going to get it ruined. So those little Ziploc bags, you can tuck them into places and, split. Um, as Sam said, split your cash up. Don't leave it all in, in one place. So if, if you lose something or get robbed, you're not going to lose the lot. Well, there's always lots of places. If you use your imagination, and every bike is so different. There's lots of bikes have places that are really easy, and some bikes are really tough. Um, underneath the tank is obviously a good place, but the main one not to use is anywhere near the battery. I know a couple who were in Africa and they were down to their last money and they said, right, we'll get the money out, the spare money. And they pulled out the uh, battery and underneath the battery was where they put their money and it was just black powder was all that was left. And it was in a Ziploc bag, but all they had was a $1,000 worth of powder. 
there are so many places on a motorcycle and your gear. And if you use your, your common sense and your imagination, you can find lots of different spots um, to tuck things away. Um, and it's absolutely right, Shirley. Spread it out. Yeah. A good spot is in your boots, mm -hmm. especially if you've got an insole of some kind. Put it underneath the insole. Who's going to look in your stinky boots, right? Mm. Yep, I That's always that. a good place. Yep. A little bit of money there, a little bit of money in your pants, and a little bit of money in something else, and in the lining of your helmet. There's lots of places you can stash. Can I move us back to um, planning? Please. Just for, um, one of the things that um, always pops into my mind, and I think um, Shirley touched on this earlier on, is over planning. I met a guy not so long ago, and he'd prepped for two years for his trip. He'd been avidly following the CIA and the Foreign Office reports, and he learned so much about the things that could go wrong. He was absolutely paranoid by the time he started his journey, and I'm actually impressed that he even started his journey. Um, he was incredibly wary of everyone and everything they did, so much so that he only interacted when he had to. Borders, police, hotels, and so on. And that wore him down. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, the fear that he'd built up within himself before he even left, um, it, it just shot the whole idea of trust until prove untrustworthy um, out of the window. And his trip was just fear every day and no fun and i just thought wow i think if you look at your government's foreign office website i mean they are so careful because obviously they don't want anybody to to say to them hang on a minute you told me that was safe so they pretty much say everywhere is dangerous i mean you'd be a fool to go to your kitchen without company if you read their website ours <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. um, used to say going to paris was too dangerous because there were pickpockets well wow. <laughs> there'd be no really? pickpockets in australia so you'd be yeah. safe here um we initially started to work on uh, a dollar figure a day and tried to work our budget that way but i think it depends where you're traveling for example, you know, if you're in uh, Norway, it's a bloody expensive country to get around and try and uh, fuel your bike, feed yourself, and uh, get yourself a bed for the night. But then if you go to India, it's as cheap as chips. So I think you really have to think seriously about where you're going. I think um, the keys for somebody wanting to set their budget for the first time is work out what their, their priorities for the, the trip are, as in what sort of lifestyle do they want to have? Do they want to stay in nice hotels or camping sites and backpackers hostels? Do they want to go and see particularly spectacular things where they're going to have to pay a lot of money to see them? Um, what sort of distance do they want to ride? Um, how long do they actually want to stay out on the road for? And, of course, there's that old thing, how much beer do you want to drink? Because, of course, now it can be a budget breaker. But I think if people start working out what they want out of the trip and then start having a look at the individual countries to find out what the facts are as far as cost of living is concerned. With the internet, it's so easy now, isn't it? You know, to, to look up a country and find out how much fuel is going to be. Well, once you start knowing those sorts of figures, because fuel in many places is um, a, a keen budget thing, then they can start working out what the budget's going to be. And I think um, it's also things like what bike you're riding, isn't it? Because some bikes are thirsty little beasts. Yeah, other bikes, well, you know, you can do 100 miles and still not get the, the gauge on the, the fuel yeah. and tank wobbling. 
I think for somebody who's also planning a trip, then it's learning how much visas are for individual countries for their own, um, you know, their own nationality. Uh, Irish, for example, they can go into all sorts of places um, and pay buttons for a visa in comparison to Brits or Americans. We're going to take just a quick break and we're going to be back in a few minutes. We, we got a lot more, so stay with us. Well, I'm sure just like you, I appreciate quality, especially with things that are important to me. And when it comes to riding, I want things that are quality. I don't want a lot of things, but the things that I do want, I want quality because I don't want to wonder if or when they're going to fail. Atlas Throttle Lock has nailed it. I mean, nailed it when it comes to quality. They have a stunningly designed throttle lock that fits any bike. You can easily switch it between bikes so you don't have to, to let it go if, if you decide to sell your bike. The Atlas throttle lock is machined from metal. Like, it feels great. But more importantly, when you mount it on your bike, it works extremely well. It works so well that you'd swear that it was OEM or maybe, like I keep saying, better than OEM. It, it's it's a it's a work of art. It looks like something you see on a one-off, ex, like exclusive bike. You know, one of those really high-end bikes that that the uh, only people with a lot of money buy. It's like that sort of quality. It's got two buttons on it: one for engage, one for disengage, and it works so smooth. It's really kind of changed the way I've used a throttle lock. Um, I, I've always had throttle locks, but I've, I've used them intermittently, and I found them, you know, a fiddle thing that you had to mess with all the time. This thing works so smooth. Uh, it's just one of those those products that you buy, you put it on there and you forget about it other than you use it to enjoy the ride. Do yourself a favor. You got Christmas coming up. This is a small package. It can easily fit into your stocking and hardly be noticed. Treat yourself to something that you're going to enjoy each time you ride your bike and you can appreciate the quality in this. AtlasThrottleLock.com. These are, this company is owned, and the whole thing is designed by, owned and run by motorcyclists, people just like you that have the same desires as you, quality parts for their bikes. AtlasThrottleLock.com is a website and throw in there anytime you're dealing with them that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports, a family-owned business of motorcycle riders that design and manufacture all kinds of lighting products for motorcycles, also ATVs, bicycles, and, and more. They have stunning auxiliary lights for the bike. They have CAN bus system application sets for BMWs and other kinds of bikes. LED headlight replacements, and these are beautifully made, and most importantly, super bright. Now I can talk from experience because I've tried their products um, like their Evo safety turn signal inserts, which um, turn your, your turn signals into super bright driving lights in the front, as well as super bright uh, turn signals. And on the back, they become brake lights. I have them on my bike uh, as well as turn signals on the back. These are stunningly bright. And um, when you step on the brakes uh, on, on this now with my bike, I, I notice it commands attention that only LED can do and only a super bright LED. And the thing is with this system is they've made them absolutely waterproof. Like the, the inserts are waterproof because your signals are not waterproof. And that's one of those small things that make all the difference. That's quality for you. That's when you know the company really cares about their products. The uh, website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. cyclopsadventuresports.com. 
You know, if you're riding on your stock pegs still, you're hindering, literally hindering your ability to ride. Adventure bikes need robust foot pegs to give the added leverage, control, and durability to make the bikes do the things that would kind of shock other riders. We do a lot with adventure bikes. Of course, they're designed to be adventure bikes, but they can't make everything great on the bike or it would cost a fortune to buy. And probably more importantly, they have no idea how you ride. Now, IMS Products has researched and designed a full line of foot pegs for adventure motorcycles that fit all riding styles, from their very large ADV-1 and ADV-2 pegs down to their core enduro for those that are more technical riders and get into tighter places. The demands of the adventure rider are great, there's no doubt, but the customization is also equally important. All IMS foot pegs are made of cast certified stainless steel. They're all made in the USA. They're all warranted for life. IMSproducts.com is the website. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Um, when I'm planning a budget, I take into account a hard learned lesson. And that is taking it very, very slowly and very gently for the first six weeks of a trip. Because when we're setting off on a trip, having been working and in real life and in inverted commas, we're, those first weeks, we're still traveling with that real life mentality um, of get things done now and yeah, okay, I'll buy a coffee that costs me three pounds, four dollars, whatever. Um, and it's very easy to burn through a huge amount of money in those first six weeks by trying to keep up with the must-do-it-now pace. And I find that if I take it very slowly and very gently um, for those first six weeks, I don't cover necessarily an awful lot of ground, but it really helps me wind my neck in and change my mental attitude towards what I'm spending and how I'm spending it. What about the budget making you paranoid? Because Graham, you were saying that you know you really really watched that, and it was a big part of what you were doing. And also, you mentioned about you know if you got ripped off or something, you'd have to sort of lay low or, or watch your budget for the next couple of days. What about letting mistakes ruin your trip? You know, you get ripped off, or I think Sam, you had a camera stolen that was pretty devastating for you. What about those sorts of things? That's something that you can you know um, you can sort of take to heart where you should probably shouldn't. Well, maybe not ruin your trip, might ruin your day, maybe ruin a few days, but I don't think it's going to ruin a trip. I was off for two days for about losing that camera, and I mean really off. It wasn't so much the camera, it was the fact that it was day of film, and there were 35 shots on that film of my bike in unusual places, you know, upside in a ditch, a couple of Indian policemen sitting on it, all of those sorts Ooh. of things, and I was really racked off at losing that film. By the time I'd gone through the, the next two days, with as far as the camera was concerned, I thought, oh, well, somebody's going to feed his family with that. Serves me right for being lazy with it. Right, what's next? Mm. You can't afford to think any way other than that. I mean, it, you, yeah. you, you'll end up trashing your trip. Things will go missing sooner or later, particularly if you're careless, and I was. Things break. Are you going to get really upset about it? Well, why? It's going to stop. It's going to get in the way of your adventure. You just become that much more matter of fact and philosophical about it. With cameras, download your photos. Now, yes. Or, well, in the film days, you know, that it was a bit more problematic, of course. But just so you don't, you know, if someone knocks off your camera, they're not knocking off your whole holiday. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, your, that's, that's the right attitude, Sam. I left a, um, a, a leather man 
at a service station in India somewhere. I'd been doing some running repairs and the guy had let me use his little workshop. And um, we rode for about 100 kilometres, which is a long way in India. And I realised I'd left my Leatherman there. And, you, you know, you get a little bit off about that for a while. But you think about it. This guy's got a really nice tool in his garage and when you can, you just go and buy another one. That's okay. Let's just put it down to experience. And that's what it is. It's an experience. It's an experience and it also makes you realise how lucky you are to come from the country where you do and to have the income possibilities that you do in comparison to the places where you're travelling. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. I want to throw out another newbie mistake that I made that I always remember uh, is getting angry. You, I was in a border situation, and I think it was, wasn't Tanzania because Tanzania was a dawdle, but it was in that part of the world. Um, went into the border, and they gave me a piece of paper, and all these stamps had to be going on, and there was things coming from several directions. And at the end of it, the guy said, where is this, this piece of paper so you can leave? And I said, I don't have it. The last guy took it. So, no, 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 you must have this piece of paper. You must have this piece of paper. And I got pissed off. I was absolutely convinced that the last guy had taken it. So I kind of ranted and raved a little bit and drove down the road. He said, okay, just just, just go, just go, you know, crazy, great, crazy white man, just go. Um, got to the hotel that night, pulled out my wallet, and there it was. Mm. <laughs> right in my wallet. And you know how bad I felt? I was a, a complete idiot, stupid arrogant, got angry and I shouldn't have, I should have just stopped and slowed down, said, well, let me just check. And I didn't. Um, Generally, I'm pretty good at borders, but this one time, I don't know, it was really hot and I was tired and frustrated and it taken quite a lot longer than I'd expected. Um, Yeah, it definitely wasn't Tanzania because Tanzania was about 10 minutes and this border was like three hours. Um, and, And it was just, you can't get angry. It's just not going to do you any good. All it's going to do is ruin your day, ruin their day, and you get nowhere. The angrier you get, the farther behind you get, and the more they're likely to say, well, I'm not going to give you what you want. So oh, actually, it's a brilliant bit, brilliant bit of advice. Easier said than done, I think. Grant. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yes. But oh, yes. I, I remember I'm generally having a pretty even-tempered, but sometimes, <laughs> once in a while... <laughs> I remember having a conversation with someone at a show and he was telling me about a border crossing and he was telling me, he said, and I said to him, no, you are not looking in my panniers. And I thought, you bloody idiot, you know, and where did that get you? And you've yeah. got to be cooperative. You've got to be submissive. It's, and it's so important to remember that you know, because you'll power. never win. You never win with authority. It doesn't matter if you're in your own country and you've been pulled out by the police. The only way to win with authority is to be humble and subservient. Calm and always, respectful. Calm and respectful. Smile. I like that much better than subservient. <laughs> <laughs> always smile at the man with the AK-47 at the border. Always, <laughs> always smile at the man who has the stamp that is going to get you into the country. Yeah. <laughs> Shirley, I've got exactly to tell you right. a story about that and Birgit won't mind me saying this we were going from Mozambique into Zimbabwe um, and at the border um, and Birgit's uh, you know, an, a newbie motorcycle overlander we've only been on the road for about four months by this time and I've been dealing with the border crossings because I've been through Africa before etc etc and she was looking after the bikes but this time she came into the office with me got a start and she was horrified what do you mean? 
you want our credit cards and you're going to take them out of the back. I, you, you, you could be doing anything with them out there. <laughs> and that was it. I tell you what, we, we nearly got thrown out of Zimbabwe before we could even allow it. <laughs> what about paperwork? Common mistakes. Not being prepared, not having your paperwork ready. It's the biggest one. And not having our photocopies. Yeah, photocopies. <laughs> oh, that, that, and that's what, just before we get into that, that's what I was going to say about, surely uh, you'd said something about photographs. I was going to say, backing everything up. I mean, you know, Sam's issue there with the camera, and that was different because it was film back in those days. Sorry, Sam, I don't mean to date you, but uh, <laughs> but nowadays, yeah, everything yeah. being... I'm collecting my pension next year. <laughs> everything, everything being digital, it's easy to back things up. We've talked about this before, backing things up online. That goes for your paperwork and everything to make sure you've got, um, you know, copies at various places we've been through this we've talked i know about the different ways that you can back things up that's so important to back everything up it's just common sense and with the the facilities there are around in these days jim um to, to back stuff up and to copy and so on it's 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 just daft not to i'll leave a copy here and i'll take a copy with me i mean if something goes wrong and you'll just be able to pull this out and say right here we are these are all the numbers these are all the dates etc cetera, etc cetera, and you've got the emergency phone numbers what well, how daft are you if you don't do something like that it's simple yeah don't you know what we did uh, put it online too yep what we did Email the other month when we were in india because i was traveling with my girlfriend is we took a second to photograph each other's passports and indian visas took seconds to do. So now if we lose a phone and passports, we've both got each other's details on our phones. That was a very simple, quick thing to do. Yep, Yep. absolutely. It it goes along with, you know, simple things like um, when you're traveling with somebody else, who carries the spare keys? Oh, you carry each other's spare keys. Yeah, I know, we made that mistake. Mm, Another good (laughs) one. We learned that one the hard way. And also with paperwork, checking your paperwork when you get it back to make sure that you've got everything you're supposed to before you walk away. It is very easy um, and with the sheer relief of getting everything done to walk away without taking the time to check that you have got all of the documents back again. Oh, it's um, way too easy. T- yeah. just, just take that few moments, rein yourself in, do it. My God, it saves a lot of grief later. Any other uh, paperwork mistakes anybody can uh, think of or, or you know, things that you think are, are those common <sighs> things, common mistakes people make? Well, you know, you were saying about doing um, oh, too much research and preparation. How daunting it was um, when I was crossing from the Ukraine into Russia, and I had read so many nightmare stories about trying to get into Russia. And I was on this little ferry that was taking me across the wall to Russia, and I was so scared. I just uh, split up with a friend who I'd met, so I was single again for the, you know, I, we've been riding buddies. And so once again, I was just in my own company. I was on this ferry. I was going to Russia. It just seemed so daunting, so scary, so frightening. And I got to the Russian border and I was given a form in Russian. And I said, oh dear. And then this lady said, oh, English, gave me the form in English. And I was babysat and walked from one place to the next, from the customs to the immigration to the insurance. And it was so easy. It was so painless. It was so wonderful. It was such a lovely introduction of something that I thought was going to be just nightmarish, turned out to be a wonderful experience. So, um, that aspect of the paperwork was great. And, and that aspect of reading too much and being too put off was 
it never occurred. It didn't happen. Oh, you're so right. Allowing preconceived ideas to take over um, negative preconceived is so dangerous, isn't it? As um, Chinese whispers, that's another perfect example, isn't it? Um, you hear stories from other people; they're coming towards you, and oh yeah, my oh you you need to really can be concerned about this road. There are massive potholes, and um, they're going to get shot at, and there are bandits around, and all of this sort of stuff. And well, their circumstances may have been completely different. Their their experience, um, the weather they had, the their health on the particular day, or whatever else it may be, be completely different to 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 yours. Uh, when I was coming back from India, heading for Europe, um, in Pakistan, um, facing the section of road between Quetta and Taftan on the border with um, Iran, I heard so many stories about how dangerous this blooming road was across Baluchistan. And I worked myself up into a right nervous state, even though I'd been on the road for four years by this time, because the scare stories were so bad. And when I rode it, I thought, oh, that's a bit gnarly. And that was it. They were talking about the condition yeah. of the road. The condition of the road and the risk factor and the speed bumps and um, people trying to rip them off. and Because mm. I going to say that those yeah. sorts of things, I mean, just because you made it through doesn't mean that everybody's going to make it through. You, you know what I mean? Because what I was going to say is sometimes ignoring local advice, I think, could be a problem too. Oh, I think you should always listen. Always listen, but then keep uh, allow things y- yourself to keep things in perspective, um, and go out there with an open mind. So you pay attention. Of course, you do. That's common sense, isn't it? Um, but when you're actually there, you don't allow those things to take you over and st- and to fill you with so much dread and negativity that you don't enjoy, or you end up doing stupid things because you've allowed yourself to get into that state. Now, go and experience it for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it depends on your level of experience, too. You could get somebody coming the other way and telling you it's a terrible road, and they've been riding for three months. They have no clue, and you've been riding for 20 or 30 years. And it's, yeah, so where's the problem? I think that's exactly what was happening to me um, with this situation. People were just coming straight out of Europe. They've been through um, Turkey and Iran, and then all of a sudden they're confronted with a road that was gnarly. It wasn't yeah. hard, but it was gnarly. And so they were just full of what about it. Yeah, relative to a motorway in Europe, yes, it's gnarly. But relative to some of the back roads in India, so what? <laughs> yeah, quite. We're talking about um, paperwork. What about border um, crossings and currency? Are there some common mistakes made about currency? If you're to search for this online, there'll be people who will tell you, you know, do your exchange, in particular, if you're flying places, do your exchange at the airport. Other people say, don't, that's a fool's game because you're going to get dinged there on the exchange rate. But what about those sorts of things? And like, obviously, motorcycle specific. Uh, I've said this before, and we've done this many times when we come to a border. We make sure we know what the exchange rate is. And nine times out of ten, the people that are exchanging monies at the border will give you a better rate than what you can get at a bank and definitely better than anything you'll get at at an airport. So you've got to know what you're facing. And really, you can only do that a day or two out from wherever you are because they can fluctuate quite a bit in some of the uh, lesser um, stable currency places. So, yes, you have to research a little bit, but that's the only problem we've ever faced. I think, in one, in fact, in one place, we um, we got such a good exchange rate that the guy had actually came back to us and said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I've made a terrible mistake. And he had. He'd made a big mistake. 
So we, we did give him some of his money back. <laughs> yeah, I think you can easily get too concerned about it too, because unless, if, as long as you have an idea in advance of what the official exchange rate is, the numbers that they give you are either seem reasonable or they're not. And I know people who get absolutely crazy about 1%. I don't care about 1%. You know, you can spend hours worrying about it and stressing about it, but 1% or 2%, it really doesn't matter in the long run. Um, do the job, get, get, your, get your money and off you go. Don't get too stressed up about it. And anyway, you're probably only going to change a small amount of border yeah. because you're probably going to hit an ATM when you get into the bigger town anyway. So, you know, maybe you're doing $50 worth and, and that 1% or 2% is so small, it's just not worth sweating it. Exactly. I think the same about airports too. I mean, you fly into some countries and you haven't managed to get currency beforehand because for that particular currency, it's just not available anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so, well, yeah, okay. What are you going to do? Walk out of the airport with no money at all except for your own currency? No, of course not. You just take whatever you can get. And quite often in airports, there's three or four foreign exchanges and frequently they've got different rates. So just have a wander yeah. around. Take it yeah, easy. Take a look-see. Yeah, I flew into Indonesia just last year and I had, like, you can't get Indonesian currency anywhere except in Indonesia. And walking through the airport, there's four or five vendors. One of them was really busy. The rest were all really quiet. Well, I knew where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to the really busy one because that was going to be the best rate. On the other hand, I asked the other guys what was the rate and it was, the difference was so tiny. I, I forget it. I'm not going to wait half an hour in line. For half a percent? Forget it. You got my business. Just did yeah, it. Yeah, you see, it's a, see, it's a convenience fee. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What about uh, bank cards with, with fees? That is a trap for young players in this country. Our banks charge extraordinary rates for you to use your credit card overseas. You really need to be aware of... Um, how much they charge for certain cards. Like if you've got a debit card and then you end up using your credit card at a bank machine, they'll charge you um, cash, what do they call it, cash advance, which is a hideous charge. Yeah. So you, you really do need to be aware of what your banks charge um, before you go away and start using cards willy-nilly. How about um, wrong place or wrong direction for weather pattern? You certainly don't want to be in India in the monsoon, do you? Oh, God, no. Yeah, I mean, do you think that's a, is that a common mistake? Is that something you guys have heard from other travelers that, oh, we were, I was going here? Because I know I've heard it a few times, you know, where people are trying to cross the mountains and, and they find that, oh, it's the wrong season. Yeah, okay. yeah, we, we had a friend do that, um, trying to cross the, um, the, the uh, mountain Balkans, I think it was, in the snow on his bike and, you know, he's got two feet of snow. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. And you've heard us talk about this before. Our first trip, we reversed the trip over the weather pattern and I'm so glad we did. And anytime anyone talks to us about travelling from Australia to Europe or, or whatever, I tell them that story and it's the first thing they do. And that's – you don't have to do a lot of research. You just have to know when the seasons are in different parts of the world. That's it. And it's the same if you're travelling from Ushuaia to Alaska. You, you, you look at the weather patterns there and you can do the whole trip. You won't get stuck. I think the, the newbie mistake would be simply just assuming that because it's nice weather here, it's going to be nice weather there. Well, I can tell you that June in Ushuaia is not nice. Um, 
I can remember having someone out on a trip that showed up from a warm place and they wanted to, um, they wanted to go paddling here on the coast and um, they wanted to wear their, their bathing suit. And I, I had to tell them that, you know, there's, there's, there's no way you can paddle in a bathing suit on the coast here. And, and it was, it was quite the ordeal. Actually, I had to, I had to refuse to take her unless she was going to buy clothing, which she was very angry about until she got on the water and realized that, oh yeah. It's not quite as warm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even in the middle of summer, mm-hmm. it's not warm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and I always know, like when I go off on a flight to, to somewhere else and I'm going to ride, I really have to pay attention to the weather forecast for that place for a few days beforehand. Because otherwise, my decision on what to take is affected by what I wore today and yesterday and the day before and what I think I would wear tomorrow here. Mm-hmm. Because oh. my mind is not able to comprehend that massive change in hemispheres, for instance. I find it very hard to pack for anything under, other than the weather that I'm packing in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Your mind just, just does not work on a different climate for packing. You just can't think that way. I don't know what it is. Yeah. That, that's what the woman that I told you about, that, that's what she said too. She said the same thing, is that she was coming from a warm place and she just didn't, couldn't seem to get her head around it at all. Obsessive photography, you know, that, that can be a mistake for sure. Yeah. Um, I read a review on that, exactly that the other day. And basically the thought was that they had done some testing um, with students um, doing photography classes and various things. And they'd done some specific A-B testing and the whole thing. And they came to the conclusion that those who took a very few pictures remembered better what they saw a few days later than those who took a lot of pictures. Yeah, but I think if they dug further into that, those who took few pictures had far fewer followers than those who took more pictures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I, um, last, last year when I, I went to South Africa or went to Africa and did a safari and had my lovely camera with me, got some fantastic photos of lions and cheetahs and hippos. And it was great, and I enjoyed the photographic aspect of it. And I do look at those photos. They come up on the laptop. But should I ever do another safari, I'm not taking my camera. I'm going to sit there smugly, maybe binoculars, and watch what's happening and not watch it through the lens because I think that's a wonderful way to experience it. There's something lovely about being in the moment instead of being looking at apertures and ISIOs and and, and sorting everything out. Just being in the moment. There's a lot to be said for that. Yep, I don't disagree at all. And I'm a photographer. (laughs) You know, without me going into too many of my stories here, um, that that's one thing that I used to tell people about with, with wildlife viewing when we're heading out because we'd see whales. And I used to tell them, you just want to consider how much time you're going to be spending looking through your camera because that's how you're going to remember this experience. And and all you can remember is that, that really narrow view of you racing around trying to get that thing in your viewfinder instead of just sitting back. So I tell people, maybe take some mm. shots, but you might want to consider just taking this whole thing in. And then go buy a photo because there's tons of photos that are available to get. Do you guys remember the old phrase um, or the old saying, um, snapshots? Mm-hmm. I, I like that. Um, big time photographers um, used to look down their noses at anybody who took snapshots. But it's so easy to arrive in an environment that's really interesting, pull the camera up, especially if you know a little bit of what, about what you're doing with taking a picture 
take a quick picture and then sit back and enjoy. That means that you've got the double whammy. You've got the benefits of both. How about um, cultural insensitivity? I know we've talked about that before. That, that, that could be a, I don't know if that's a newbie mistake. Would that be a newbie mistake or is that a personality thing? That's a clueless thing. Yeah, clueless thing. Yeah, you get educated. Uh, I think that's one of the advantages of traveling overland is that you do get educated as you go. You are slowly indoctrinated into other ways of doing things and other ways of thinking, and that's okay. Um, I think it's the really clueless ones are the ones that are dropped in from the sky. That's where there's a real problem and you really see it. But I don't think overlanders generally are that bad. But some of them, yeah, personality, as Shirley says, yeah, some people just just are plain clueless, and that's all there is to it. There's there's a thing in in Southeast Asia. I'm not sure if it's a Buddhist thing, but it's definitely something that occurs in Southeast Asia. And it is considered rude to show the soles of your feet. So if you're sitting in a position opposite someone and you've got your feet on a table or a stool barefooted and your soles of your feet are showing, that's considered offensive. And it's strange because I've kind of taken that with me. Because if I'm now in a situation where I'm sitting, you know, drinking beer somewhere, someone's the soles of their feet are right in my eye line. <laughs> That's really rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I find it quite interesting to learn about all of the different, um, oh, yeah. the, the cultural habits and so on. It's like Vietnam. You never touch somebody on the shoulder um, because if you, in Vietnamese culture, the genie lives on the shoulder. And if you touch them on the shoulder, you dock it off. And and that's just devastating to somebody there. Um, and I find all this sort of stuff really fascinating. Where did these things come from? Um, that's part of the joy of travel, isn't it? Yep, that's what it's all about. What about um, getting directions? What kind of mistakes do you find <laughs> that uh, when it comes to getting directions? Asking, is this the way to? And pointing. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Don't do that. Yeah, we've done that one. <laughs> is this the road to, to Mumbai? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. well, I always remember we the just, one I learned. Where does this road go to? Uh-huh. Then how many more people do you guys ask to confirm? It depends on Everyone. the country. Every time you stop. <laughs> Every time you stop, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember the one in South America where we asked, is this the road? You know, or what's the road to Cusco, I think it was. And we were in, way up in the mountains somewhere. And guy pointed that way. And, and I knew Cusco was north. And this guy was pointing south. And I said, what the heck? Why? There's no way it's south. So we had a little discussion. And eventually it worked out that that's the road that the bus takes to go to Cusco. It continues to go south, hangs a left, goes into the mountains and turns left and eventually ends up in Cusco. But the road to Cusco is south. <laughs> okay, he only knows how to get there on the bus. So keep that in mind. Any other you guys, have you, have you got anything else that you've thought of for, um, for common mistakes? Maybe something to do with bike service? Not. <laughs> that would be a mistake. Look after it. Mm-hmm. I see most of the mistakes I see with bike servicing is not doing enough, not doing it regularly enough. Most people are used to servicing their bike every six months. On the road, it's once a month. And, and over every day t- you and ride a gnarly road. Um, every day. Set camp, 
put the kettle on and start checking your bike over. Well, that was Sam Manicom, Brian Ricks, Shirley Hardy Ricks, Graham Field, and Grant Johnson and myself. You can hear all of them uh, each month on our other show called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Raw is a separate feed, so you'll need to subscribe separately wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, we have dedicated pages on each of them on our website uh, and the whole raw scene. If you're curious about it, drop by AdventureRiderRadio.com forward slash raw. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Don't forget we have another show called ARR Raw. comes out monthly. It's roundtable talks about motorcycle travel. Um, It's quite popular and I think you're going to enjoy it if you enjoy Adventure Rider Radio. It's a separate feed. You need to subscribe separately. Anywhere you find podcasts, you can find Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Now, if you're not supporting the show already we have built it on a model of advertising and listener support uh, we would love to get your support for the show drop by adventureriderradio.com click on support and see what we've got anything ten dollars or more get you a sticker sent at you for your pannier your your bike your uh, toolbox wherever you want to put it maybe somebody else's place uh, if you want to stick it there to show that you've been there and anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on Raw. And we would love to get you as a monthly supporter on our Patreon account. Uh, we would love to get your support there. So anyway, drop by, check it out. We'd, uh, we'd really appreciate that. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Mary McGee. And you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 